0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week it's going to be the turn of the bass player and musician and singer. It is the one and only Alice Janice, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love and poetry. One time member of, um, well, she's been in a lot of bands, including Gut, Bank, there's um, Sex Pod, and more recently, Psychic TV, but has got a new musical project on, as well as doing a solo album a few years ago. So um, I will put those links in the notes below. But this is the interview with Alice. So after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Alice, it's over to you.
1: Um, I think my my first musical awakening was when I was very young and it was all Motown. So um, you know, I was listening to uh you know, Gladys Knight and James Brown and uh the Jackson 5 and um you know Smokey Robinson and I don't you know on and on and on. Yes. Um 'cause 'cause I, I loved to dance and it was just it was great music to dance to. Um, so that was, I guess, in the 60s, late 60s. And then in the 70s, I started to discover David Bowie and Patti Smith. And um, and then it, I went on to become like a huge like Bauhaus and Cure fan. And um, yeah, I don't know. I went through a lot of phases in my life. I never I wasn't really I didn't collect records. I just couldn't really afford them when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um but I, I listened to music and I was a, a college uh radio DJ. Oh, brilliant. In my, yeah. In my yeah, I guess I was like 19 or 20 years old. I did that for a couple of years. So um I felt like I had this massive record collection, but it was all the, you know, it all belonged to the to the school that I was going to. Yes.
0: Um, this is true. But it
1: was but it was great and it really exposed me um to a lot of different types of music. And the other thing for me that was great was that um, I grew up in Hoboken, in New Jersey, which is right across the river from uh, New York City, from Manhattan, like literally between the Holland and the Lincoln Tunnel. Um, so uh, there was this very well-known club in Hoboken called Maxwell's, and the bands, you know, bands would play there. Uh, and it was one of those places where if a band was going to play in New York, they might do an off night in Hoboken because it was a ten-minute you know journey across the river so i yes. got to see tons of different bands there yes. um you know which was great yeah it was, was pretty... it a bit
0: like the boston because i know there was a book that came out on the boston sort of i don't know scene. this one here which i which he says well someone took this photographic but so a lot of british bands kind of went over they did sort of i don't know new york boston was it a little bit like that on the circuit that you just thought well now you're here you might as well do this max yeah. as well
1: yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the same. So It was pretty great. I saw some, um, yeah. I mean, I can't even remember all the shows I've seen it, but um, you know, some of my, my favorite ones were uh, I saw X. I saw, I used to love seeing the fall. Um, I saw Soundgarden before they were Soundgarden mm. in, in this small venue. Um, there was a band called uh, X race. No, who was it?
0: No, I can't remember their names. Was it Polystarine?
1: No, it wasn't. There was another band that I I can't remember. Naked Ray Gun. Uh, oh. I think they were a band from Chicago. That like so, there was some really. I just saw some really amazing shit. I saw the I played with the there actually. Oh,
0: um, <laughs> well, that's I fantastic! Did, yes, yeah. that's very good. Were your parents at all musical? Did they give you any musical direction in life?
1: Um, my mom and her sisters were always singing. They did they always did three part harmonies around the holidays. They would sing, you know, holiday, typical Christmas songs, but they would sing them in German. They grew up in a relatively, um, I guess their father was from Germany. I'd never met him. He, he was, he passed before Mm. I was born. um, But I guess he was um, German and they went to some German societies and they were all singing in German. So they still, from time to time, my mom and her sisters are all in their seventies, And early '80s now, and you know they'll still sing "Silent Night" in three-part harmony. It's pretty cute. Oh,
0: fantastic! I know the German version is so much nicer, (laughs) isn't it? Really. Yeah. So when did they come over to America from Germany?
1: Well, it was just my mom's dad. Um, The rest of her, her, her mom was born here. They were, I think, maybe third generation born in America. So they, my mom's family, has been actually in Hoboken for several generations. My mother still lives in Hoboken. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I guess her dad came over as a teenager. Um,
0: and that was it. You, you, yeah. found your, you found your place. And did you have any kind of brothers or sisters, you know, an older brother or sister that kind of influenced you at all in, in sort of any musical <laughs> direction?
1: I No, I don't know how this all happened. I mean, I was always musical. Um, I think, you know, my mom did play piano, but not anything, you know, professionally, just sort of out of, you know, for fun. We had a, we had a piano in the house growing up. um, So I had taken lessons when I was young. Um, I I am the world's worst pianist. I just, I just didn't catch on to it. Um, And then I studied flute and I learned basic guitar chords, which is pretty much The all all I can still play on guitar, like the basic (laughs) chords. And somehow I've I've been able to make a career out of it um, by, you know, getting people who play much better than me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is kind of... I think it was kind of Lemmy from Motorhead, wasn't it? Well, he was in Hawkwind and then he was in The Rock and Vickers. I think he was a kind of a rhythm guitarist, but realised he was never going to be very good at it. So he (laughs) went, went and sort of went for, I think somehow found himself sort of auditioning for Hawkwind and, the bass player didn't turn up, but he left his gear and Lemmy picked it up and just became part of Hawkwind for those few years before forming Motorhead. So the bass is one of those instruments, isn't it? So was there any bass player that you you kind of, in, you looked at and thought, yes, that's going to be my instrument or did you just kind of stumble on it?
1: I, I did actually when I was probably 17 or 18. I was at, or maybe I was 18 or 19. I was at a, a club in New York City. It was called the Mud Club. Um, oh, yes years and years and years ago I mean I barely even remember it but I did I saw oh, a band called oh <laughs> wow that's amazing that's so great
0: we love the uh, mud club don't we
1: <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty incredible um from what I can remember because I was again I was young and I'm I'm now 62 so uh yeah so I you know it's that's a long time ago for me um, I went to the mud club. I I think I was with a friend or a boyfriend at the time. And uh I saw a band called ESG. They were this uh uh band of three women, very funky, soulful band, and the bass player was incredible. And I and I always knew I have always been writing songs in my head, even since I was, you know, younger. Um, I mean, I can remember being like twelve or thirteen and just always having Music. I always call it my radio head because yeah. it, it just doesn't shut up sometimes. Um, but I saw ESG and I, I was watching her play bass, and I just felt like it was a pivotal moment for me where I was like, you know what? I, I really want to do that. I really want to play bass. Like, I feel like that was going to be the instrument for me. And also, I did study dance for a very, very long time. Like, I was. Uh, you know, studied ballet and jazz and modern dance. And I felt I've always been very connected musically through my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and bass playing just sort of made a lot of sense to me.
0: Yes. I was going to say your bass chakra was probably sort of resonating with the sort of vibrational quality of the bass, really, wasn't it? it
1: yeah. <laughs> I, and I love, I mean, I love, I picked up bass and it was, you know, I, I was with a friend who, um, you know, I just went to jam with my friend in, uh, some basement somewhere in New Jersey. And she, you know, she just remarked, like, it seemed like I'd always played, like, it didn't seem like it was the first time I ever played. I just picked it up and I was able to play. I don't even know how or why, but, um, you know, maybe because I did have some musical training and it wasn't.
0: So you knew Um, the kind of structure of how songs come together and how they work? Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: as a music lover, um, I guess not every music lover understands the structure of a song, but it it came very easily to me. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously I put in my thousands and thousands of hours of practicing. um, But yeah, yeah. I I love it.
0: I haven't. I was going to say, we know that, that Malcolm Gladwell kind of quote, isn't it, about sort of the hours of practice you have to put into <laughs> to get that kind of way. Did you start playing when you you had left school? Were you still at school before, um, yes, when the bass appeared in your life?
1: I was still in school, but it was, you know, university. I was in college when I started playing bass, um, probably about 20, 21. I'm not really sure how old I was. Right. Um Yeah, and then that was it. I just played bass ever since
0: yes god your your discography is amazing so you're i know because i was going through <laughs> your career that's amazing there's not many gaps are there but um really amazing range so when we you know in the uk you know like 79 we have you know thatcher gets in by then you would probably be about 20 then and then you know in the U- yeah so we had that sort of punk and then that post-punk period and you mentioned the fall and we had you know you had the pistols and the buzzcocks and the clash and various bands like susan the banshees and then you know bands like the gang of four and uh, Um, I suppose, magazine, Public Image Limited, and then slowly it kind of morphed into a bit of an indie scene with people like Echo and the Bunny Men and Simple Minds New To and then the Smiths. And, you know, the UK was kind of really poor at that stage. You know, we, you know, we had the sort of the Thatcher government, then we had the Falkland War, then we had, you know, Greenham Common, we thought we were going to be nuked. And then there was the miners' strike. So what was it like for you during that early 80s period, which was quite a transformative moment?
1: Um, I think, you know, for me in the early eighties, I was just trying to figure out who I was. It's like, what am I going to do with my life? I was, I was, I think I was still in college. I guess I never graduated. I ended up leaving and finding a job in fashion for some weird reason. And, um, and then I, you know, it was just for me, it was just about playing music. I did, I was lucky enough. Um, I guess it was in 83, Um, With the help of some money from my grandmother, I was able to buy an apartment in Hoboken. So I was obviously very concerned about paying mortgage, you know, in my early 20s and, um, you know, keeping any kind of a job to keep the roof over my head and still somehow juggling trying to play music. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't I felt like for me, I was sort of oblivious, I think. Um, as a younger American person, I mean I was always, you know, protesting anything pro women and you know, like I was very aware of um people's human rights around me, but um you know, I don't feel like my world was affected in the way that, that um you know, people in the UK were affected by, you know, worrying about being at war. I don't feel like our country was as concerned at the moment, at that mm-hmm. moment?
0: Yes, I guess it was a bit more to do with, um, I don't know, we seem to be sort of always on the sort of, ang- we had a lot of anxiety in the 80s.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you also, I mean, I, I, you also had wars on your lands. We really haven't had, you know, apart from the Civil War, you know, we've been relatively, I mean, I'm not going to say that we've been saved, but I feel like we've had a different, you know, we have definitely were able to lead a different kind of a life style i think you know whether it's right or wrong i think a lot of americans have felt you know that that we were in a safer environment i don't know that that's completely true but i think that that's maybe maybe that was just my mindset i don't know i
0: suppose we had the you know going back a bit further we had you know some 40 was it for 39 to 45 was the the second world war and you know and there was the americans came over in about 40 too wasn't it sort of they call it the friendly invasion where because we had about 30 air for air american air force bases in this country in this kind of region on the east coast which is where i'm based and so you know we had all these americans come over and that was like an interesting time because it left you know though the war was kind of apparently won you know it left the country bankrupt for several decades instead right we were, yeah so we were still paying that off until the 90s apparently so sort of for the great debt so right. that was a bit unfortunate but then you know it, at the same time, and this is a bit of a Sweden statement, I think during the 80s it created – there was a lot of tension and a lot of poverty, which is kind of interesting because it did create a lot of amazing music and a lot of people were kind of just so angry about it, which is strange yeah. now that people reminisce about the 80s so much because I keep always wanting to say, yeah, but we did we, – we were kind of moaning a lot. The British moan, okay. We'd love to moan. And <laughs> <laughs> and we did moan, but you know, the music was great. We were just a bit fed up most of the time. But I don't think the British changed that much really. So mm-hmm. yeah, so then we had bands like the Smiths came in, then we had this kind of like the was it Red Wedge movement, you know, with people like the Redskins, and they were you know turning over the government because everyone was finding it very repressive with the Thatcher government. Because when she came into power, you know, she wasn't very popular. Then the Falkland War, and suddenly she became Became as popular as the Queen, virtually, and that kind of created this kind of character that Maggie became, which was this like you were either on the right or the left, and the right were the yuppies, uh, you were having a great time, and the left were all right. sort of like myself, were sort of whinging and moaning and feeling repressed. And then, yeah, you know, but we did have a great soundtrack, so so you, <laughs> you know that was that was the upside of that period. Um, but then you formed formed your first band, was which was called Gut Gut Bank. So, how did Gut, this band? But,
1: um, well, it was, a, I was, you know, I had a friend from college, my friend, Karen. Um, we, she was, you know, we were talk about music all the time. We both, you know, were going to different clubs in New York city and Hoboken. Um, she was going to other clubs in New Jersey. I, I didn't go out in New Jersey as often, um, because I was really only 10 minutes away from New York city really. So it was easy just to jump on a bus or a train to get to Manhattan. Um, and we liked the same kinds of music. And she was a guitar player and a singer. Um, and Karen is the singer and guitar player of Gut Bank. And I, you know, I decided that I wanted to play bass and I got a bass and we started playing. And that was it. Yeah. Um, we just, we, we wrote songs together. And um, I guess I was about 22, maybe at that point. Um, and, that, and that was it. It just, I, that was the beginning of my musical journey really was, was uh, being the bass player for sex Pod, And we got really, you know, I, I do think that we were lucky in a lot of ways because we did, we were noticed um, by people who could help um, Steve Fallon, who was the owner or one of the owners of the club called Maxwell's that I've spoken of already, yes. um, you know, took a shine to us and assigned us to his, relatively newly formed record label called coyote records and um it was distributed through twin tone records uh from you know minnesota and um we were able to record an album i guess at that point maybe i was it was like maybe 1986 or something um, this
0: this was the dark ages which came yeah. out as, because you and en- was engineered by a guy who i interviewed Probably a year ago, Martin B.C.
1: B.C., yeah, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so did
0: you go to his famous studio?
1: We did. We went to his studio in Brooklyn and we, uh, yeah, we well, we recorded it, actually. at. Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the studio in Minnesota. I'd have to look at the record. I don't even know if I can find it right now. Um, but we, we recorded it in Minnesota and then Martin mixed it in New
0: York. Right, God, oh, the the very hip labor uh, the very hip sort of recording studio. Can you remember much about it?
1: I do not remember much, but I remember he wore the same color clothing every day. <laughs> <laughs> he always wore sort of a black pant and maybe purple shirt or a blue shirt. I can't remember, but I always thought it was amazing that, like, it it what a wonderful idea to just have a. Simple wardrobe where you know you're not wearing the same clothes every day, but you're sort of wearing the same colors every day, and it's just, you don't have to think that hard about it.
0: Yes, um, this is true. I can't remember what band it was. It might be Psychic TV, where everyone lived in the house and you put all your clothes in a box, and you just got up in the morning and picked d- them up. Was that? Yeah, psychic? that was.
1: That was Psychic TV, but I wasn't... That wasn't... It might have been Psychic TV or it might have been Throbbing Gristle or...
0: Clint, oh, it was Throbbing was, Gristle, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. No, that was very much a Genesis, uh, a Genesis moment. I've definitely heard that story from Jen.
0: Yes. So when <laughs> did you discover... Going back to the, the album, you you know, when did you discover your singing voice? Because you mentioned the bass and dancing, but singing, did, did that come together quite easily?
1: I, I mean, I... I again, I grew up in a, in a family where a lot of women were singing. So I I would also sing, you know, we would sing around holidays and it's kind of a funny thing, but you know, in our family, yeah, we did sing. And I think I was in the, I might've been in the chorus in high school. I was in the chorus, I think in high school or junior high school. I can't remember. Yeah, I think I was in the high school chorus. Um, So I've always known that I can sing, but I have a very gravelly voice. Um, So I never really thought of myself as a lead singer. Um, But I, you know, I'm very good at I was always very good at harmonizing. So um, Karen was the lead singer in Gut Bank and also in Sex Pod. Um, so, you know, we did, I, I was always able to harmonize with her and she had a much higher voice. I have a very low voice. So it was easy for me to double her vocals and off the below her. And I thought it was a kind of cool sound.
0: Yeah. um it sounds, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I love the your vocals on your latest album or or EP, which I've been listening to, which has been good. So uh, that, just going back though, so with most bands that I've interviewed, they they have a kind of a bit of a five-year narrative. They have that first, you know, 12 months, the honeymoon, they sort of get a sound together, they get a single. And in this country, you know, which is tiny, let's face it, you know, um, <laughs> we had three weekly music papers like the NMEs, Melody Making Sounds, and we had people like John Peel, who was this DJ on Radio 1, which kind of gives people a lot of access so you know people get that first single they get a play on John Peel they tour around the country in their little transit van and then you know the album comes out everything's going good then the second album a bit tricky oh third and it's whatever so what was the kind of the story of of your first band how because you last about five years don't you
1: I think it was a little bit longer than that um you know there were the, the usual <laughs> there was the inter issues and um you know there was at one point a relationship within the band and it just you know things don't always work out that way when you mix those two together and i had a child in 1988 and a boy um my son and i just it got too hard at one point and i think i might have been the one who had to walk away 19. for a while cuz it was just too it you know we were young and it just started to feel really dysfunctional um, and I was in a different place. And and I think, every you know, sadly, the drummer who was with us has passed on. But, um, you know, I think everybody would have their different version of, of a story. My story was that I felt like it was becoming dysfunctional. And I had to kind of walk away from
0: it. <laughs> yes. No, well, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I know I saw the photograph of the band. I mean, everyone does look so young, don't they? <laughs> so,
1: well, we were young. You
0: we were, were all young, young
1: once. <laughs> but it was all
0: so different. So then, you know, because the other, a lot of things that sort of. I noticed with the 80s, it's a bit tricky being a band. You know, there's a musical zeitgeist, if you're lucky, to be part of. And then after a certain period of time, there's another musical sort of scene that happens. And in this country, you know, towards the late 80s, there was this sort of introduction of ecstasy and another wave of 16, 18-year-olds come along and then people want to dance. And then there's the Seattle kind of grunge scene that comes along. So a lot of indie bands I loved just thought, you know what, you know, even though they weren't that much older, you know, they they're not really that old at all. But they just thought, actually, you know, we're just not part of this scene anymore. The music press don't really care about us, and that's where they collapsed. So, what was it like? I know you said you sort of finished the band for probably, you know, lots of stuff to do with in you know, children and blah blah blah. You know, the, you know, but how? What was it like for you? Sort of then, sort of getting back into another band during that kind of early part of the nineties decade.
1: I think. um Karen and I started, you know, talking about music again and playing music again. And we always had a really great chemistry. Um, and it just sort of started naturally, as most things do. Hey, do you want to come over? I'm going to play some new stuff. And I put a bass line down and it was great. You know, we thought it was great. And then we just went back into writing together again and we found a different drummer. And um, and that was Sex Pod. I think that was in 1990. Right. So I guess I, I think I left that bank, you know, I was, yeah, I, that bank might've ended in like 89. Cause I actually remember, this is going to be a strange story, but I remember going to play a show in Boston and I was still nursing my, my son. So I was sort of expressing milk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Really. And I like,
1: it was very, I mean, this is, you know, I am a woman and I was a mother and I was traveling and, you know, my son was six months old probably. And I was giving the bartender milk to put in the freezer for me so I didn't waste it. <laughs> um, so, it was just, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it was, I was still playing after my son was born. Um, yes. but yeah, I mean, there were all sorts of issues. Again, we were in our 20s and it was a really... You know, you're in your 20s, lots of crazy stuff happens. And
0: yeah, my God, absolutely. I know, I I remember hearing Suzanne Vega talk about her European tour after a few years of being, you know, very successful, but having a small child on tour. And, you know, every day was kind of a very traumatic, you know, trying to feed the baby, you know, just things like plug sockets, kind of trying to find, you know, the right plug socket in hotels babies yeah. kind of being the baby being ill suddenly having to go right that's it I've got to go on stage now and just yeah. that kind of stress of everything going on yeah he said it was not it was not good it was not good for anyone it's, really
1: it's a it's a struggle I mean it's it you really do have to it's a lot of work to try to balance that
0: I can imagine, my God, I mean it's hard <laughs> enough when you're on your own, but let alone or <laughs> yeah, without any other people, but then you know when when sort of the your second band, Sex Pod comes along, is the kind of creative process quite similar, you know with the new drum yeah.
1: yeah we I mean again, it was pretty much Karen and I in the front, she was playing guitar and singing, and I was playing bass and uh doing backup vocals, and um we had this drummer called Billy Luce um who came in. I don't remember exactly. I think we met Billy through another band. I'm not sure. I don't remember how that worked. I don't remember how we met Billy. That's so funny. Uh anyway, he became our drummer and um we recorded an EP together um uh, at one point and then we did eventually signed to slab records and we re- we got a different drummer we went back to the same drummer that we were in with gut bank so it was basically gut bank was reformed under a new name now called sex pod um and then we we went in and uh we did a full-length album
0: and with was first, called... the first kind of extended sort of ep or mini album that, that's called home and that was on go-kart records wasn't it
1: that's yeah that's correct that was home and then uh goddess blues was on on slab recordings which was uh i guess it was um distributed by bmg
0: yes my god that's amazing (laughs) and that one now this band takes you right up to the, the the end of the the decade and millennium really don't you where we were i don't know if you were getting freaked out or excited about the millennium bug but that was so what was it like once the album came out goddess blues was that did you tour that album
1: we did we we did some u.s touring but it wasn't really that extensive I mean we didn't have I think it's it's a little bit it's hard in in America it's a big bigger country to tour through and it and it's expensive touring can be very expensive and um there wasn't a whole lot of tour support and um we did get some great shows and we got some you know we did some festivals and um you know bigger like touring trips like the summer giant tours where 12 bands are playing and um, sort of a festival tour. We did the one that was called the roar tour. We did a couple of warped tour dates. We never went on a full tour, but we would do like five or six in a row. Um, yeah. And then, you know, we were opening for artists like Joan Jett. Um, we did on the roar tour, uh, I guess Iggy Pop was headlining one of those festivals. So we did, we did some great shows and then, you know, again, we just, it just all sort of fell apart, yes. as things sometimes do. Because
0: um, yes. <laughs> um, at that stage, there was a, the, the music scene had become very laddish, hadn't it? How was that, did that have any impact on the band? I mean, let's face it, we just all saw Woodstock 99, didn't we, and we are all bit yeah. sort of traumatized by that experience and thinking, oh my god, I'd forgotten that, you know, a lot of bands were like, getting to be a bit blokey and a bit laddish and um, quite horrendous. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was really a man's world here. I, you know, it was, it was all the guys were getting signed. We, as, as, you know, three women in a band, we were, and I don't want to say it was because we were women, but I do kind of think it was because we were women. We were getting looked over a lot. Um, There were a lot of big labels that sort of scouted us, but then didn't know where to put us. They didn't know what category we fit in. We weren't cutesy. Um we were really, you know, good, loud rock and roll. Yes. Um and, and everybody could play. Like we really held our own. And um I think the songs still hold up to this day, but um, you know, we just never really got that big break. There was always that carrot dangling that kept you going. <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna say that it kept us going. you know, I I I still write music all the time, and whether there was something, you know, uh, it's not like there's a lot of record label interest. I still write music. It's just at the end of the day, I think if you really are a musician, it, it's what you do, and you don't do it just to, you know, find or be successful. You do it because it's who you are, and that's kind of where I am right now.
0: I know. Um, yeah, well, it's, it is interesting because I, I sort of speak to so many musicians over the last few years from you know that period I mean music kind of did mean so much during you know that period or a certain era and then sort of a lot of people have to say then sort of think I do need to get a bit of a day job I do need to get paid but music is still kind of there kind of always tapping them on the shoulder saying you know do you want to do some more music again, you know, either with the original band or various members or new community. You know, it's like I still, you know, people still really want to make music and just, you know, put it on Bandcamp and just enjoy that process and play a few shows here and there when they can fit it in with their day job, mostly. So um, it, it, it is, yeah, it is interesting how how that process works and how important it is to. Yeah, so many creative people, obviously yourself included. So, um, yeah. So once that band finished, you have a few others, don't you? Before, you know, you <laughs> launch into your makeup moment with. Um, so you do Candy Ass next, don't you?
1: Yeah, Candy Ass was um, uh, two friends. My friend uh, Hopi and Galadriel, and uh, Mary Catherine uh, was our drummer. Um, she's a great drummer, by the way. Um, we, I was asked to audition for them. They were going on the road with pink as a, you know, direct support. And I got to a place, I guess I was like 40 and I was, I just thought maybe I'm done. Maybe I just don't want to do this anymore. I felt like, um, I think there was a moment in my life where I felt like music had let me down. Like I was in these bands. I do feel like, both Gut Bank and Set SexPod were always 10 years ahead of the curve. Like I feel like Gut Bank could have fit in with the riot girl yes. type, you know, category of music. But that happened 10 years after, you know, we released music. And and then SexPod, I don't know. I, I don't know where that would have fit in. <laughs> I don't know if <laughs> it ever would have fit in, but it didn't it I just it just didn't really work. And I think I got to the point where I was, you know, I was still you know, a youngish mom, my son was, you know, at that point, maybe, maybe 10 or 12 years old. And um, I just thought maybe I just need to get a real job, you know, like I always had jobs, but I just felt like, you know, maybe I need something a little bit um, more secure. So I went out and I, the, I was working as a jeweler, as a bench jeweler for many years um, for a woman who became my friend and, and she's lovely and we're still friends to this day. Um, and at some point she moved to Denver. I went out and I got a job in the city as a merchandiser and a designer in the jewelry industry, at one of the bigger companies. And, um, you know, it was a nine to five, 40 hour a week job. I was miserable, but I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. And for a minute, I just kind of decided that I was going to hang up music and I felt horribly depressed about it. Um, so anyway, these, these girls called me and they said, you know, we'd like, you to I just need to go on tour with Pink. And I, I struggled with it because I, it would have been hard to be away for three months, you know, or two months at a time. And I was in, you know, at that point I was a single mom and I was trying to keep food on the table for my son and juggle everything. And I, I said, no, <laughs> I said, I wouldn't do it. Um, and they auditioned other people and took someone on and it didn't work for them. And I told them if it didn't work to call me, maybe I would reconsider. And they called me and I reconsidered and I ended up being in the band and um, did a couple of weeks on the road as a tour support, direct support for Pink. And um, it was really fun. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I took the time off. For, I kept the job and I took time off as Holiday. And I went back in and people were like, oh, how was how was your, you know, your vacation? And I was like, oh, it was great. I, you know, I visited this city and that city, but I never told them what I did.
0: Yes, I know. <laughs> yes, you yeah, could have just, that classic one that everyone does. I feel like I need another holiday now after that holiday. <laughs> yes, <yeah, holiday. laughs> seriously.
1: I really people, did. Yes. I really did. And what was yeah, it like
0: being it on such a major, you know, production number with someone like Pink? Well, I
1: mean, we were still, you know, we were driving vans ourselves. It wasn't like we were, you know, we weren't on a tour bus or getting pampered in any way. Um, But it was great. I mean, she's incredible. She's one of the most talented musicians I've I've met. Like, she's honestly, I I was completely blown away. And I'd never, I never played in, you know, in stadium arenas or anything. So it was really, it was, you know, it's just an amazing experience. It yes. really was. wouldn't trade but, it for anything.
0: No, absolutely. It's always nice to see how the um, yes, how the other side of showbiz works. Isn't it? <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure.
0: It is quite, well, it's great, yeah, you know, because sure. I think everybody wants to have a a little moment. So then, did you did that morph into kind of Pretty Boys? Then was that kind of That's, a spinoff of Candy? Yeah,
1: as? yeah. Pretty Boys was just a spinoff, and we really didn't do much. I mean, i I did that all the time, knowing that uh, Psychic TV was sort of bubbling in the background. Um, I had been friends with, uh, the drummer at Ed, Eddie O'Dowd for a long time. And after sex pod ended, he, um, you know, he just sort of, he knew that I was kind of feeling disheartened by everything. And even though I was doing candy, yes, and I was doing pretty boys at that point, I always knew that, that the psychic TV thing was in the works. Um, and during that period of time, I guess it was from 90. Maybe ninety nine to two thousand one or two thousand two. Um, Genesis and I were becoming more and more friendly, right. um, and I started making jewelry for Genesis and Lady J because I am a jeweler still. Um, and uh, it just sort of, you know, morphed from there. And there was a point I remember. Jen and I were walking. Um, I don't know why we were on St. Mark's place. We were coming, we were walking uh, West from Odessa diner. We used to like to meet up at Odessa in the East village and, you know, have some grilled cheese and snacks and whatever. And, uh, and Jen started talking about, you know, psychic TV. And when, you know, when we get to play together and I, and I just, I remembered that I just looked at Genesis and I was like, Jen, you, you've never even heard me play. Like we, I haven't auditioned. You don't even know that I would be the right player and Jen just looked at me he's like you're the one
0: <laughs> right so you, you sort of had a very good sort of vibe vibrational quality you know friendship with with Jen
1: yeah both, both Jen and Lady J I mean um yeah we just it, it started out as you know a business relationship that turned into a really close friendship that turned back into you know obviously it was sort of a band relationship but Um, still was a, you know, I would consider Jen, you know, one of the people I've been closest to in my life.
0: Amazing. That's, yeah, well, that's fantastic. I don't know if you've also mentioned Adele's book, but Dorothy Max Pryor also has written a book. She was in a band called Rima Rima and I think Psychic TV for Uh, a short period of time, but, um, think she was the drummer but it might have been a very brief moment with the band actually yeah so so when you so did you give up your day job once you you became part of psychic (laughs) tv
1: uh no I just got different day jobs (laughs) I just kept finding new things to do um I I was with one company for a while um I, I don't know how I juggled it I honestly don't I would take take you know vacation time and then I would take unpaid time off and go out on the road and um yeah I don't really know how I did it I couldn't explain to you how I juggled it but you you become a really good juggler if something means enough to you you learn how to how to make it work and I just somehow made it work
0: that was Um, that was quite something so did you go into the studio quite soon or did you play mostly live with with the band
1: I started, we played our first um, live show in New York City at the choral room and I think it was 2003. Um, and then we toured after that. We did a couple of maybe four or five week tours um, through Europe. And it was mostly older. We were, you know, rehashing, um, you know, the catalog, the psychic, TV, the old catalog of psychic TV. And I don't remember what year. I have to go back through my own discography. It's funny how I don't remember. You probably know more about my career than I do at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: was, I, I, two, two, 2006, 2007, you were doing, you did Live in Moscow and Hell is Invisible, was that?
1: Yeah, okay, so Hell is Invisible, yeah, that was, that was a lot of new songs. I think we did that in um, Jersey City. We recorded that at David Max's studio, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah, and we got together. I mean, it's funny. We we wrote in a lot of different ways with Psychic TV. I mean, I would come up with a lot of bass parts, and other people would come up with parts, and um, you know, we would jam for sometimes for a couple of hours and just let recording, you know, just record stuff, and then uh, Eddie and Genesis would cut it up, and um, yeah, it was a whole. There were a whole lot of different processes. uh, Yes several different processes of, of writing songs. Um later at the end like toward more toward the end, it was really a lot of cut ups with with the exception of one or two songs. Cause some, I would sometimes come in with like a completely um, you know a song that I had written on bass that was like really complete. Like,
0: you know, was this a quite vocals. a different experience for you than you'd had before when you were other sort of musical combos?
1: Um no, I mean I I think um pretty boys we wrote in the studio with a couple of producers um that's the most different way that i've ever written because it was very intentional yes um and i'm not saying that when i write it's unintentional but i do feel very this is going to sound weird but i do feel like i kind of open this strange like spiritual plane when i write like i I just, it just sort of smashes through my head or something. I I don't know really how to explain my personal writing process, but um, I just feel like there's this opening and it kind of comes through my head and sort of out my stomach and into my hands.
0: Well, that's, that's Uh, that's a good thing to have.
1: (laughs) That sounds really weird, but that's kind of part of it. I don't always think that hard about it. Sometimes I wake up with songs in my head. Um, but with, the, with like,
0: the yeah, I was going to say with the album Alien Brain versus Maggot Brain, you know, there's like two epic tracks, aren't there? Did, yeah, do, do, can you remember much of that sort of session and how? That yeah, came those, about?
1: those we just went into. We went into uh, I think it was at Studio G um, or Aluminum Foil Studios in Brooklyn, and we did go in as a band and everybody just sort of jammed. Like we might have a couple of ideas going in, but then it was just sort of like get it down on tape. And and then there were cut ups, and Jen would come in with words, and just go into the booth and sort of do stuff over what we were doing. And I, I think it was kind of remarkable the way we wrote as a band in Psychic TV. Yes, um, There's it, it, a lot of trust between the players, and I always felt like you know you could look at those sort of recording sessions in two different ways. They could be terrifying, or they could be elating. And I always felt elated by it, um, because at the end, it always like it was it was such a fine-tuned machine. Like the last few recordings, I just felt were just I don't know. It was just so beautiful.
0: <laughs> did you did you I mean I mentioned Lemmy earlier but he mentioned being in Hawkwind with uh, David Brock and just said he'd never been in a band where they had such kind of understanding with each other knowing almost knowing what each other were going to be playing that kind of ability that you're you're almost kind of vibrating at a certain level that you just find you know it's going to be okay did you was that a similar experience you had with psychic TV
1: I mean yeah I especially the the last version of musicians the last group of musicians that we played with which was uh uh john weingarten on keyboards jeff burner on guitar myself on bass Ed Leo dad on drums and then obviously dennis' singing um i i really felt like it was just this incredible connection of of musicians there was it was it was such it became such a well-oiled machine we would sometimes you know, we we wouldn't go out on long tours anymore. Um, you know, many different reasons, mostly Genesis Health. Um, but but we would book maybe three rehearsals before we would go on the road. We'd do one and look at each other and be like, "Yeah, we're fine. We don't have to do anymore." <laughs> you know, like it's just it. I you know maybe that's just my feelings on it, but I think everybody would say the same. Like we really did we understood each other musically we knew how to support each other as players and we would we would sort of jam a lot we would jam live on stage i mean you know sometimes that was terrifying cuz genesis would just point at you and you'd have to keep stretching and just do stuff <laughs> just keep going um and sometimes it would be great and uh we would have this joke that you know sometimes like you know somebody has to catch the baby right like someone threw the baby in the air and someone has to catch the baby and you know, just depending on like who Jen was counting on to catch that baby. Sometimes it would be me. Sometimes it'd be Jeff. Sometimes it'd be Eddie. But it would, you know, be an extension of a song. Um, nobody knew exactly what we were doing, but somehow we managed to find our way.
0: Yes. And through. did you find with each of those kind of releases that you've got, uh, each each one had a special kind of quality to it, and and different people were in different spaces. And and that kind of created the sound that came out in the in the final mix.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it it was that everybody had their space. I mean, I actually never I never got involved in mixing in Psychic TV. That was really uh, Jeff and Eddie, and I guess Jen had the final say in everything. But I it was um, the first few bands that I had. I was very involved in you know the final sounds and how levels were playing part with psychic tv i just sort of let go
0: yes and that um because 2000 was it 2016 you did alien didn't you was that one of your highlights of with with the band or was it one of the the fish scales falling kind of release? no
1: i mean i i i think snakes might be one of my favorites alienist I mean, they're all meaningful in a different way, you know. They're, yes. it it's definitely a, a each of them. Um, when I look back at it, each of them, kind of relates to a certain period in in time, you know. And some of them were happy, and some of them were not very happy at all. Like there, you know, there was a lot of there were a lot of traumas in our lives. You know, we we lost a lot of people along the way, and yes. um. You know, the music is obviously reflective of those things,
0: yeah. Um, with snakes, the songs are a lot more kind of um tighter. Was that can you remember much of that particular session that you did for that um release?
1: Yeah, well, I think those you know, in on some of those songs, you know, some of them came in as you know, a song <laughs> like they didn't they didn't always start as a jam. They would become a jam, but like, you know, some of them were really worked on a little bit and I think it was also we did really trust each other as players and we um, you write in a different way like if yes. you're growing you know I think we were just growing as a band and as musicians and we were writing in a little bit of a different way as well
0: yes and what was it like <laughs> when when you sort of you realized you know the band was that was over was that a difficult transition for you on the sort of emotional and sort of creative level
1: Well, the band was over because Jen dropped her body. I mean, it was, we would have continued to play if Jen didn't get sick. It wasn't, we continued to book shows. We just, um, we just couldn't do them anymore because of Jen's health. And we'd get to a point where Genesis would think I could do it. We'd, We'd book some shows and then, you know, Genesis would end up in hospital so we couldn't, we couldn't do them in the end, so I guess 2018 was our last show in Berlin.
0: Yes, God, that's um, that doesn't seem that long ago now, but such a different period in our lives, really, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah, it really was, um, and it was incredible. It was. Um, I remember, you know, Genesis was so happy, and it was uh, she just really, you know, she perked up, you know, her, her, her illness. Uh, she was never really in remission, but she just, she just had this, you know, couple of months where she became quite chipper and was really, she seemed like her old self again for, you know, just a few moments. And then it was just a decline. It was a slow, long decline of, you know, chemo visits and hospital stays and you know, falls and it was just a, you know, poor thing. She just had to struggle and, you know, hard. cancer is a really hard thing. It's a hard thing to live through. And it's a, it's a hard thing to watch your friend and loved ones go through. Yeah, She, she was the bravest person. I'll tell you, I never, she never complained. Not once. I mean, I would go to, I went to many chemo visits with her over the years. Um, and I would watch, you know, nurses try to find a vein and miss it and over and over, and she never complained.
0: Not once. Yes, it it's is amazing. True. It is amazing. So then when when you realized, you know, that was the end of that story, what was it like for you, you know, thinking about playing music again? Was that tricky, or did you?
1: Well, you know, what was hard for me is that I, I – did have a solo project at one point in this is hard to even talk about (laughs) let me take a breath um i was playing i released a solo ep called sticks and bones um and i guess in 2012 i recorded it might have been 2013 and my son played bass for me um with us as that on that project um And then in uh, September of 2013, I lost my son. So it was a really hard thing for me to even want to play music anymore, Um, especially after playing with him. And I couldn't wrap my head around it for a long time. Um, And I just was trying to carry on, you know. Um, Part of the reason I started that project was I was working my way through my sorrows, after losing Lady Jay, and it sort of started with a song that I wrote called jackie's song um which was really about my friendship and my love and my devotion as a friend to her and I really wanted to record it and my son was so happy to be playing music, and I was so happy to be playing with him. It was probably the happiest time in my life and uh when he died, it was hard to even hear it and um I went back in the studio and I recorded one final song for him. And I guess I released it in 2014, but I really didn't want to play live. I didn't want to play those songs anymore. Um, So I just sort of released it because I felt like I should and, and just let it be and never toured and never did anything else. And I was able to do psychic TV. It always felt like a home, like psychic TV was home for me. Like I felt so there was so much love, you know, and then obviously there's typical band problems, you know, there's always going to be this one is angry with that one. And that one is angry with this one. But I think for the most part, there was a lot of love in that band. Um, And especially, you know, I had Genesis and I, I think because we had both had very serious losses, really grew closer. Um, And, you know, she just became an incredibly important person and she was one of the most intelligent people I've ever known. So we could have conversations for hours and hours and hours about life and death and what happens when and, um, you know, and just silly things. <laughs> just laughing about fashion or, I, you know, just friendship, a typical friendship. Um, but but playing and music, that became such a great outlet for me again. Um, I've always felt that I am my my truest self when I am playing when I'm yes. writing, when I'm on stage. So I was really grateful that I got to have that. And then when Jen got sick, I started, um, you know, I, I I had moved from Hoboken to where I live now, which is two blocks from the ocean, probably around 2015. Um, and I, you know, made friends. There's a very big music scene in Asbury Park. I'm just a few blocks from asbury park and i met some local musicians um including my current musical partner um probably about 2017 and i knew psychic tv was winding down and my brother introduced me to pony sean pony Heath tilberg um, yes. by saying you know my sister's a musician and Boney always makes this joke like everybody's sister needs a pianist to play, you know, a keyboard player. And, you know, just making a joke that I was like some run of the mill, somebody's sister, you know, not knowing that I actually had like, you know, a history of playing music and releasing music. And um, we met, you know, we became friends and Psychic TV was really at that point not playing at all anymore. Um, we did. We had a couple of tours, but everything was being canceled. And then uh, in 2018, Pony and I just started really writing together. Um, and at first it was, you know, again, like I was going through grieving a tremendous loss. And, um, you know, Pony has his own traumas. He's moved as an immigrant, immigrated from South Africa to New Jersey <laughs> just um you know and struggling at at that point in that era here we're in the Trump era mm-hmm. of being a, an african immigrant so it was kind of a south african immigrant it was a, you know it was a difficult time for him as well um he has since gotten his citizenship and is a little bit less stressed out um i am definitely more healed but i, I think a lot of the songs that we wrote Um, I'm jumping into Upstars now, but a lot of the songs that we originally wrote were uh, both of us healing things. And I think some of the songs, you know, are a little bit more melancholy. Um, I feel like we're kind of heading in a little bit of a different direction where it's a little bit less so. And I think the next, hopefully the next couple of songs that we write will reflect that growth a little bit.
0: Yes, because uh, actually, this is the the one which is starts with beautiful, isn't it? And yes, stars and crying time. Yeah, uh, I must admit the lyrics are stunning. I just really uh, have enjoyed the lyrics and the the oh, passion with it you. as well. So, yeah. So were these kind of written in the last couple of years?
1: Yeah, those were written in the last few years. I mean, I went um Genesis dropped her body in March of twenty twenty, and I, obviously it was another, you know, we, we Jen, I think we did a, we had like a little, a very small funeral and then I came home and everybody shut the doors. Like it was, you know, COVID restrictions. Everybody was told to stay inside for weeks and weeks and weeks and everything was, you know, basically shuttered. And, you know, I'm like sitting here with my own grief, not being able to really like, with other people you know you weren't hugging people and i i needed to hug (laughs) like i just needed support so it was a really hard you know it was a really difficult moment um and i just picked up and started writing again um i write my way through i tend to write my way out of of grief and um I write my way through difficult times. It's how I process it. I don't always, I'm better now at being able to talk about my feelings, but for me, like music was always my feelings. Um, so I was sort of processing some of the feelings and I, I started, I think it was maybe in the summer of 2020, I wrote Funeral Boots. Um, so I felt like I, I needed to kind of come to terms terms with losing Genesis and um you know I remember being Genesis is buried upstate New York and next to Lady Jane and I remember it was a drizzly day and my boots were covered in mud and I was just kept thinking about my boots and I called them my funeral boots and I um anyway, I wrote this song called funeral boots for Genesis as a tribute and at one point I bought some you know an interface so that I could have you know, run a little bit of music through my computer and just record a little bit. Um, and that that point, I thought maybe I should have Jeff do some work on it, and I asked John to do some work on it. And as a, I had been in the hospital with Genesis for a heart appointment at one point, and I just recorded her heartbeat, Um, and I sent it to Jeff, and Jeff made a loop of my right. heart. The, and that became the the sort of the drum part as it sort of became a kick drum in Funeral Boots, which, uh, you know, I recorded here and Jeff recorded there. I, like somehow it all kind of came together and it did get released on um, Not In My Future, which is a, a, I guess it's a, you know, a tribute release to Genesis Pure from a lot of friends and family members. Um,
0: Yes, my God, that's so. That, there's, there's a, lot, there's a lot to process there, isn't there? And you were, yeah. sort of, you were kind of in London, sort of early in the year, and you met up with Paul B. Hampshire. As yeah, well, yeah, who, yeah. Who, I, I did an interview with him kind of last year, actually, which was quite uh, amazing because his career is quite um, extraordinary.
1: Ah, uh, B is amazing. B is just such an incredible human being, and um, I obviously met B through Genesis because Jen and B were great friends as well, and. Um, I remember just, you know, the first time I met B, um, just seeing how animated Genesis was with B, you know, and and Jen, Jen could be really, I'm not gonna say standoffish, but Genesis didn't always want to socialize with people. <laughs> it's, you know, it's hard to be Genesis pure. It's like, especially if you're on tour and there's so many fans and everybody wants to talk. And you know, we we were protective of her. I, I would I would do something with Genesis where uh, you know, Jen doesn't smoke, didn't smoke. And if somebody was spending a little bit too much time with her, I would just go up and say, hey, do you want a cigarette? Which was just sort of my cue. Like, do you want me to take you away from <laughs> this situation? And not have it be like, hey, are you okay? And, you know, but it was just sort of like my way of saying, you know, are you okay? Do you need yes. to get away?
0: Amazing. Um, yes. And it
1: worked work brilliantly. Yeah.
0: I know, yeah, I worked. I was going to say, B's been sort of releasing some kind of new material as oh, well. Oh, it's
1: beautiful! It's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah I cause... bought. I I bought the. Uh, um, this was last year on Deus. The getting the fear um, rec- recording. It's just incredible. I love B.
0: <laughs> yes, I know, and I do love the work that um, he did in the very early '80s as well. It's such a fascinating story coming out of Sheffield. So um, yes. I know he would write this most amazing song about his uh, lover who died and uh, it's kind of one of those really stunning songs. So um, yeah. it, it is kind of interesting how, as we all get, get older and we're navigating through life, how we're sort of using things to process or, you know, get us to the next stage if we can.
1: I mean, if we're lucky enough, we do get to process them and not die in that, you know, like lose ourselves in them. Not die, but, you know, lose yourself in it.
0: Yes, absolutely. So with the record that has just come out, always come out. So you did Sticks and Bones. This was the one, the solo album that you did in 2016 that has Jackie's song. And was that single that you were talking about called Save Me or Stay?
1: Oh, uh, that's, I guess Save Me would be the single off of that one. Oh, no, there was, yeah, there was a single. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there was uh, my friend Tom Ngovin um, put out a limited edition blue vinyl single. And I think it's uh, Stay and, oh, what's the what's the B-side?
0: Oh, I might be able to find that, actually. I can't
1: remember it.
0: No, I can't either. Wait a minute. I'll, I'll probably be able to get it here. So your B-side to Stay was, oh, I don't know, actually. It doesn't have one. Oh, it just has well, not... a bit. Oh, midnight!
1: Oh, it's midnight. Oh, yes, I was just gonna go find it. Um, yeah, that I yeah, I wrote that that, that I wrote those songs so long ago. I've completely forgotten about them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I was really proud of the songs that I wrote. It was the first time that I just decided that I was gonna do something on my own. um and again, like I said, it was sort of just to process another loss and um it felt like the right thing to be doing at the time. And I really enjoyed this, the songwriting process on, on all of them. And I feel like, you know, by the end I sort of, I wrote that song "Save me and I, I wrote it on a new year's Eve one night. I just decided that I was going to sit home and buy a, got myself a fancy bottle of champagne and had some glasses of champagne and sat with my guitar and wrote all night. And, uh, and that song was "Save me. I, I don't know. Yeah. It just felt like a, it felt like a great thing to do. And then I had a, I've had traditionally a New Year's Day party almost every year for, I mean, since I was probably in my 20s and uh, became like a very famous party. And uh, I had a party the next day. <laughs> so I wrote a song and then had a giant party. And I think I may have played the song at the party.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So as, as, as we get into this new decade, which is a bit odd, um, what's your sort of next stage? What's, what's got, What have you got lined up for your next projects? Well,
1: you know, of stores is still very much alive. Um, Pony and I are both incredibly busy, um, both sort of working. But I'm I'm trying to just kind of pull together a little bit of extra money so I can, you know, go back into the studio again. Um, unless there's a record label that would like to come and support us. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm just trying to get enough money so I can get back into the studio in the fall and um, do a single. And we just spoke with uh, Rocky road touring um, here who are here and based here in America uh, who have agreed to work with us and um, hopefully we'll do some one-offs this year, but maybe some small little tours next year. Um, Hopefully opening for some bigger acts, but also maybe a couple of things on our own. Um, And I, you know, hopefully back in the UK and, Hopefully, some European shows to come as well because I feel like Psychic TV really had a a great fan base in Europe and in the UK, and um, it would be great to, you know, I feel like a lot of fans became personal friends as well, and it would be really nice to go back and, you know, see everyone again. Yes, and be on stage and play those songs. I mean, I think I'm really proud of the music that Pony and I did together, and um, we worked with Jeff Burner who again was the psychic TV guitar player and is just a brilliant musician and, and one of the best human beings I've ever met. Like he's just one of my favorite people to be around and uh, like super positive and um, you know, just really supportive and lovely. And he plays live with us and um, yeah, it's, it's pretty great. I look forward to playing. Yeah. We haven't got, we've only played them live once at this point with a full band and it was incredible. I mean, it blew me away. <laughs> I was really thrilled with it.
0: Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Did you ever play, have you played much in sort of the UK and Europe?
1: Well, with Psychic TV, yeah, a lot. <laughs> I mean, we went over almost every year, twice a year usually. Yes. We 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 would do like a couple of tours a year. It was it started out as like four or five week tours and then it sort of ended up being like, you know, 10 day, 15 day tours. And, um, we started out, you know, touring a tour bus and toward the end, we were just flying in for gigs. So we'd, you know, we'd fly to the UK, we'd play a gig and then we'd fly to, you know, whatever, Spain or Portugal or, um, Berlin. Uh, so we would fly in, we would usually have that night off cause jam would need to take a break and we'd play the next night. and We'd fly out the next day and do the next gig.
0: Yeah, it's um, an amazing, amazing story. Because I noticed that, I think, um, yes, I saw that Bee's kind of a friend of Cathy Unsworth, who's who's just written a book on the sort of is it called uh, Witches of the Season about Goth. I just wondered, do you, have you ever sort of want, thought about documenting your own interest in life and musical career?
1: Um, you know, I I have thought about it. It's still. I'm still a little raw around the edges to want to go back and, and really talk about a lot of the things that have happened in my life. Um, I definitely documented on Facebook. I did tour diaries for years. I think I did them um, from 2014 on. Um, and I would at some point love to go back and pull a, pull all of those off and sort of do that as a book because I think it would be fun. And people, I mean, I don't know if they're lying that people are, you know, have often said that they love reading them. They enjoy the diaries. And, um, you know, I throw up some photos of where we were. And the reason I started doing that was I originally would write an email to my son and my mom. And after my son dropped his body, it got really hard for me to just say, dear mom and not dear mom and Jesse. Yes. So I thought, I can still document this for my mother who was all, she was sending it to my whole family anyway. And my whole (laughs) family was on Facebook. So I was like, I'm just going to put it on Facebook and everybody can read it. And I don't care. Uh, It's nothing ever any, you know, it's not ever that personal that I have to hide anything. Um, And it was something I enjoyed doing. It kind of kept me, it kept me busy. And it also reminded me, like sometimes I'll go back and I'll read some of them because, you know, the memories pop up on Facebook and I'm like, oh, I forgot that I was in, you know, Croatia that day. Or, you know, like I just forgot that I was in this small town in Italy that day. And this is the, you know, we went on a walk and we saw this old church and, you know, or went to an old castle. And um, it, it's nice for me to actually go back and reread some of them.
0: Yes, absolutely. No, it's, it, it's, it's, um, yeah, I suppose it's, a lot of it is about and isn't it and sort of trying to yeah. uh somehow find some peace with it i mean sometimes yeah. you always have to have peace but sometimes you want to feel like it's it's kind of i know it's a bit of a corny word but healed you know? <laughs> so, do you know what i mean sort of yeah yeah
1: like, i mean so, i don't think you ever fully heal from losing a child i think that you kind of uh learn to exist with it and I'm like a, I'm really happy these days. I feel really um, at peace with myself. I like the life that I've created for myself here. I don't really have a day job, so to speak. I, I work part-time at a music venue, which is really, really great. Um, they get a lot of national touring acts in, and I get to be around music all the time. Yes. And, and I have my own jewelry company. Uh, I you know I I was at my bench today finishing four rings so um, yeah I just I do the things I love like I so I get to play music I get to make jewelry and I and I work at a, an incredible music venue like I I I don't know how I got blessed I don't always like using that word but I I do feel like I I got blessed with this life that's kind of amazing and I know I'm going to get back into the studio and I know we're going to record some. Really beautiful, amazing tracks and and hopefully those will be out in the spring of 2024 and I'll get to uh, get back on the road. I mean, now that, you know, we're not in the same pandemic rules and clubs are open and music is being played again, um, you know, until the next thing happens, I... I hope that we get to go out and do those things now.
0: Yes. Well, I noticed so many bands like the Bush Tetras are sort of re, reformed with a few extra members. And I think that in the band you mentioned, E was it ESG. I think they're being ESG,
1: yeah.
0: I think they're doing various things, and if not a film about their career. So, yeah, and yeah. Um, yes, and Z Records is uh, bringing out books, and and it's all very, been, it's a lot of activity at the moment. I can, I yeah. Can so I well. love
1: it. It's very exciting. It's very it exciting.
0: Is. And I, you know, I do have to say, I thought, you know, that um, EP you've done, Tuesdays with Stars, and I do think Beautiful is just great. I think your vocal is stunning. I think it's absolutely brilliant. So, um, yes, I hope you'll get back in the studio and write some more and sort of record some more material.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thank you. Yeah, we will for sure. Yeah, Yeah. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Uh, look, this has been amazing. So when I ever go to another screen, it all goes a bit black, actually. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, I, I thought maybe you were ready to go to bed.
0: <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, it's I was just funny. Like, oh, yes, I know. I was looking at what your um, the homepage of your website and it's a very... <laughs> I haven't got any background light because it's actually got a bit dark, actually. So that's why I go <laughs> suddenly dark, actually. Sorry about that. But look, this has been amazing. Thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. And if you want, I can always send you the link and you can always put it on your social media platform sites if you if you so care. But um oh, it's been absolutely. a real pleasure to um catch up and hear your story and um your music career. And it's been great to sort of be able to access so much stuff on Bandcamp as well. So when I do the the when I put it up I'll put those links as well on Bandcamp so people can click on them hopefully and um yes discover more of your work because it's amazing. Oh, so um yes you. well thank you and um yeah it's a yes, and did you enjoy your time coming to the u k and Ireland? I noticed
1: oh, I loved it i you know I'd never been to Ireland psychic t v in my you know in 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 the two decades that I played with psychic t v or nearly two decades, we never played in Ireland, and I've always wanted to go um so it it was incredible i I want to go back and I have some very very close friends in london um I, you know, and we've decided that we need to see each other twice a year now, so um between them coming here and me going there, I'm I'm definitely coming back at least once a year.
0: Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Well, yes. And um it was nice that you've got those little connections with people like B as well, which is really nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because I think sure. it was
0: last autumn he got the band back together, one of his early bands, and they did some dates in Whitby and various other places up on the northeast coast. So um yes, it's been good. So um yes, I keep seeing posts that he put up of various projects he's doing. He's so creative.
1: He is. I, I adore him. I'm, I'm hoping, actually, when 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 we got together, uh, I guess it was a month or two ago. Um, I, you know, we talked about maybe doing something together, either here or there. Um, so, you know, hopefully that will come to fruition at
0: some point. That would be that would be a dream ticket. That would be a dream ticket. Well, look, thank you ever so much, Alice, for giving me the time for this. And um, yes, all the best, and have a lovely evening. And um, I'll probably go to bed soon. Anyway. All right. Yeah, it's been a
1: pleasure, David. Thank you, thank you so much.
0: Yes, thank you. Take care.
1: You too. Ciao. Bye. No,
0: just finally. And yeah. bye. And that, dear listener, as you could gather, is the end of the interview. I know. Magic stuff. That was a um, yes, a huge thank you to Alice Janice for giving me the time for that. I will put uh, a link below in the notes of um, her latest musical project that you can find. This has been the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these interviews have been archived on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. Indeed, they have. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.